Something's been happening lately that God's been bringing to my attention. Uh, it comes up when I'm teaching and I'm working with my students. It comes up with Greg. It comes up on our leadership team when something goes wrong and I know I should say something, but I don't. Because I hate conflict. I know you all love conflict, so nobody can relate to me. But I, I just, I freeze up, I get scared, and God's been kind of asking me to look at that. Why? Why do you avoid conflict? Uh, and so, as I've been searching my heart and trying to figure that out, I realize that I avoid conflict because I don't want the other person to not like me. Like, fundamentally, I think that everybody likes me. You all like me. Everybody likes me. But if I say something that they don't like, or if I tell them that, you know, I'm upset by something, then my biggest fear is that they're not going to like me anymore. I have this aversion to not being liked by people. And as a result, I just want to please them. I'll try to do anything and everything I can so that they still like me. Now, my desire to have people like me and to always think that I'm a good person really is in direct opposition to what I read in Galatians 1 verse 10. And this is the Apostle Paul talking, and he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And my answer would be, yes, I am trying to please people. But this is how Paul answers it. He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, if my focus is on making people happy and making sure that they like me, then I'm pretty much not going to be doing what God tells me to do. Because when things are not going well between Greg and me, God wants me to bring it up, to address it. But, so, I said but, but I forgot what I said before that. Okay, well, God's bringing this in me, so now I'm aware that I really want to please people, but I don't know what to do with it. I mean, how do I not please people? And so that's kind of the, the million dollar question for me right now. But all kidding aside, I'm pretty sure that in a room this size, there are many of you who can relate to me. Many of you who have the compulsion to please other people and to do what they want you to do. So, answer this for yourself. Please don't raise your hand unless you really want the people around you to know. So, do you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what you're going to wear in the morning because you're afraid that if you wear the wrong shoes, people are going to be like, that is so OG, right? <laughs> I once wore a shirt and somebody said to me, my mom has that shirt. And I said, is that good or bad? But it makes us self-conscious, okay? Or do you worry that people will find out that you're really not as smart as you come across or as uh, kind or as whatever you're trying to get people to think you are? Or do you ever feel threatened 
when someone brings up a mistake you've made, and you're like, but, and then you become defensive? Or are you constantly looking around you to see the impact that you're having on people? Like, are people, are people looking at me? Are they impressed? Or are they judging me right now? Should I be worried? Okay. Or do you find it hard to say no to people, even though you have no time, energy, or desire to do what they're asking you to do? But you're like, okay, I'll do it. So, today we're in week three of our series on long American idols, facing the counterfeit gods in our lives. So, the first week, Greg is very helpful in giving us a definition of what an idol is. Right? In the old days, you would have a little statue that you would actually bow down to. Today, here's what we do with our idols. An idol is anything that you put ahead of God, so it becomes number one in your life. Or an idol is something that you turn to when you think God isn't coming through. So you're like, God, you're not, getting, you know, you're not giving me this, so I better get it for myself. Okay? So while you and I might be thinking about what do I, what do I put ahead of God? And what are things that I do or what are things that I have to grab for myself because I don't think God is there. And last week Greg told us that the top American idol is me. I'm going to put me ahead of God. Right? When God doesn't come through, I better rely on me. So, the top American idol is individualism or me. Today, I'm up here because I get to talk to you about one of my top idols, which is Satan Face. Uh, so if you grew up in a wall environment or in a collectivist society, you already understand what I mean when I say saving face. Right? You have heard your mom, your dad, your relatives say to you, tall only guy like OJ Moore. Right? If you do that, that thing that I don't want you to do, you're gonna lose face. Or most of the time your parents say you're gonna make me lose face, right? Or mm -hmm. you Moore, right? So we're very familiar with this concept of losing face. Um, there's no real clear definition of losing face or saving face specifically. But most people agree that saving face is a complex social phenomenon that has to do with preserving your dignity, right? Preserving dignity, honor, prestige, reputation, okay? So there's something that you have to preserve. Make sure people respect you and see that you're a good person. And at the same time, you want to avoid embarrassment, disgrace, shame, anything that will make you feel humiliated, okay? So you got to look good and also keep yourself from looking bad. And that's about saving face. It's very important in a collectivist society where everybody has interdependent relationships. And I'm aware of myself as a woman, as a daughter, as a pastor's wife, and I'm constantly saying, okay, my relationship with you, how am I doing? You know, how am I preserving my dignity and my honor? And how am I doing in not coming across? 
shamefully. Okay? And all of the saving face we do because we want to maintain harmony. We want to make sure that our relationships are going well. We do this. We save face so that they should jump home. Because if I don't save face or if I'm not careful and I make you lose face, then we chishi chong Okay, then we lose that relationship. So I want you to understand that saving face has a very important role in relationships. Okay. But how does saving face become an idol? How does it become an idol in your life and mine? Okay, so just remember that. Idol is when anything you place ahead of God or what you turn to when you think God isn't coming through for you. Okay? So, how is saving face an idol? I'm going to say to you today that saving face becomes an idol when you or I, when I care more about what other people think than what God thinks. Okay, let me say that again. Saving face becomes an idol when I care more about what you all think than I care about what God thinks. And particularly, I care about what you think about me, right? I don't care what you think about the Timberwolves, but I care what you think about me. Okay? And it becomes an idol when it's more important than what God thinks about me. So today, we're going to actually look at a, a man in the Bible who got lost in saving face and who got to the place where everybody else's opinion mattered to him more than God's opinion. It's a long story, so I'm just going to tell you most of it and then we'll look at some of the passages. But it comes from 1 Samuel 15, so it's in the Old Testament in our Bible. And this is a story of King Saul. The Bible tells us that King Saul was a head taller than everybody else in the room, which just meant, wow, right? He was someone to look at, okay? But God chose Saul to lead his people, to be the first king of Israel. So God must have seen something in him, and God must have approved. That's why God said, out of all the people in the land, I'm going to choose Saul. Now, the interesting thing about Saul is that he wasn't quite sure if he was good enough to be a king. Because when Samuel, the prophet that God sent to tell Saul, he saw you're going to be the next king, Saul was like, no, how can that be? I come from the smallest tribe in the land, and my clan is the smallest tribe, the smallest clan in the smallest tribe. In other words, I'm nobody. And on the day that God was going to anoint, Samuel was going to anoint, and God was going to say, here's your new king, Israel, they couldn't find Saul. He was hiding. And they had to say, God, is the man who you want to be king here? And God said, yes, he's hiding in the supplies. So they went and they found him. So whatever was going on for Saul, he wasn't quite sure of himself. So then we come to the story where God, through Samuel, tells Saul that Saul, as king of Israel, I want you to go and totally destroy. 
destroyed was people called the Amalekites. Because when white people was coming up to their land, the Amalekites, they waylaid them and they did not treat them well. So your job is to take the army and totally destroy the people. And God was very specific. He said, do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. In case you wonder what all means, right? So God wanted to destroy, totally destroy the people. That was what God told him to go do. So Saul went. But instead of totally destroying everything and everyone, he spared the king. Why did you not obey the Lord? 
Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel was basically saying, you are saying to me, Saul, that you obeyed God, but you didn't. Because you saw all the good things and you said, no, we can't destroy that. We're going to keep it. Even though God told you to destroy it. In fact, Samuel said to Saul, Saul, did, did God not take you, the smallest person, in the smallest clan, in the smallest tribe, and make you all king of Israel? He was reminding Saul who he really is. But still Saul refused to admit his sin of disobedience. In verse 20, Saul comes back and Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. I did. He becomes very defensive. In fact, he even goes on to say, I went on a mission the Lord assigned me, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag, their king. Okay, so even when he says, I totally destroyed them, he said, uh, but I brought back the king, meaning he didn't totally destroy them. Okay, and then again, he says, it's the soldiers who took the cattle and the plunder. They're the ones who kept it. So by this time, Samuel had had enough because Samuel already knew what was in Saul's heart. So Samuel said to Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? In other words, yes. God has told us that we need to sacrifice animals to Him as a sweet offering to Him. But God would rather that you obey Him. Okay? And Samuel explains, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And then he says, it's better to wait because if you're not obeying, this is what you're doing. Verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Divination is when you go to see a witch or, for, or somebody to read your future. Okay. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. And, er and rebellion is like the, oh I'm sorry, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. In other words, if you don't, if you don't obey God, you're pretty much rebelling against Him. And if you're rebelling against him, it's kind of like you are taking your future into your own hands. And if you don't obey God, you're basically arrogant. And you're putting something else that's more important than God. <coughs> and this was the result of Saul disobeying God. This is what Samuel says. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He has rejected you as king. And finally, now that Saul hears what God thinks about him and how God is going to deal with his disobedience, he finally, sort of, confesses his sin. But he wants to explain why he did it. So verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Okay, so here's Saul's explanation. 
the first king of Israel, whom God anointed. I was afraid of my men. What do you think the men were going to do with him? <laughs> were they going to kill him? Were they going to dethrone him? What do you think Saul was afraid of? Saul after this? 
chapter 1 Samuel 15 ends with this really sad um, description of what happened. First of all, Samuel went, after he, he did honor Saul, he went with Saul. Afterwards, the Bible tells us that Samuel never went to Saul again. He did not see him again. He did not want to see him again until Samuel died. But he grieved for Saul. His heart was broken over Saul and what Saul had did. But the final verse says that, and the Lord God regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's what God thought of Saul. Did he care? A little bit. But not as much as he cared about what people thought of him. Saul is this mighty king who went to conquer the Amalekites and brought back their king and brought back all the best cattle and the sheep. That's what he wanted me to remember him as. Did he care that God was grieved that God had made him king over Israel? It doesn't sound like it. So, the idol of saving face is when I care more about what people think than what God thinks. Within the Hmong culture, and even within Hmong Christian churches, there are a lot of ways that this idol creeps in. Here's some things that I've seen in my life that I have done, and I have seen other people do. There are three major things we do to save face. One is we start managing our image. I try to manage my image. This is drawing attention to all the positive things in my life and in myself in order to impress people. I try to impress people with what I do, what I say, what I have, how I look, right? And you're like, that seems too extreme. I don't do that. But what about this? Have you ever stopped to really, really carefully think through your words that you don't say anything offensive or anything wrong because you don't want the other person to get the wrong impression and then to think that you're not a good person. So you think and think and then you're like, oh, I better not just say anything. Because right, I'd rather have them think I'm a good person and not say anything. Or how about, do you compare yourself to others and try to see if you're better than them in whatever area it is? Or maybe you buy the newest pair of, I don't know, I'm going to show that I don't really know what I'm talking about, but the newest pair of Jordans or whoever is popular right now, right? And you're like, I don't have $150, but these look so cool on me. And when I walk into the room, everybody will be like, yo, hey, have you ever done that? That's image management. I know, because I spent a lot of time looking for just the right pair of shoes or just the right shirt, right? How about, if you don't even manage your image, then what about hiding parts of yourself that you know people aren't going to like? This is where we minimize and even deny our weaknesses or our failures 
or even our sins so that people don't know. So you don't share your struggles. Everybody else is talking about their struggles. You keep your mouth shut so people are like, whoa, you have no struggles. Or someone's talking about their sin, they're confessing that they're struggling with poor or whatever it is, and you're like, oh my goodness. If you raise your eyebrow and everybody thinks, oh, you, you don't struggle, you, you don't have these sins. But really, you're hiding it. Or maybe you become easily offended when people criticize you because you don't want people to know that you have weaknesses. Or you hurt your spouse, but you're like, I'm not going to say sorry to you. Okay, that is a way that we save face. We hide parts of ourselves. And then this third one, in case you don't do the other two, how about trying to please people? Trying to please people is where you order your life around what other people think. So when you look at your schedule, you're like, oh my goodness, there's nothing on here that I want to do. But I have to go to that event and that event and that event because other people expect me to be there. Right? Do you know the funniest thing about this one? Is that it's not so much that you do what other people tell you to do, but you do what you think they want you to do. Okay? It's when you worry that people will be upset with you. Or you feel that you have to make promises because you, you know, I've made a lot of promises where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll get that to you by Friday, even though I don't have no time in my schedule to get it done by Friday. Okay? So we make promises that we can't keep. And at the end of the day, we start feeling resentful that everybody else gets to run my life except for me. Okay? So again, don't get me wrong. Saving face has place in our social fabric of our lives. But how often do you do things that you know are not good for you or the other person? Or might even bring you to sin. But you think the other person, what they think of you is important. How many of you have lied in order to get the other person to like you? How many of you have actually done something that you know is wrong? Like spending $200 on something that you know you shouldn't have because that $200 should be spent somewhere else. And we often do things because we worry about what people think, what they're thinking about me. And it becomes more important than doing the right thing. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4 to 6, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he is talking to them about Somebody has accused him and the people that are working with him of, you know, just going into a ministry because you're greedy. And are you really an apostle? And this is Paul's answer to them. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not 
looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. It's pretty clear there. So as God is unpacking me, as he's opening my heart and testing my heart and he's saying to me, before you, you got to stop caring what people think more than you care about what I think. As God is bringing that to my attention, this verse really strikes me as pretty straightforward, right? How do you dethrone the idol of saving face? Paul says, stop trying to please other people. Please God instead. That seems pretty straightforward. But it has to start with you and me being honest. Letting God test your heart to know what's really there. Without that, you won't be able to confess the sin of caring more about what people think. So if it's hard for you to say no to people because you're afraid they won't like you anymore, God has to convict you and say, hey, this is where you care more about them than you care about me. If you are afraid to share with your life group the struggles in your life and so that you can't even get prayer, this is where God's going to say, hey, take off that mask. Why are you wearing a mask? These people are here to love you and pray for you and care for you. So you got to start there and take off that mask. When we try to please people, you know what we do at the end of the day? We don't take responsibility. We say it's their fault, just like Saul did. I didn't keep the camels and the cattle and the sheep. The soldiers did. Okay, they made me. Right? I don't have a busy schedule because I want a busy schedule. They made me. We gotta take responsibility. When we try to please people, you just gotta stop and say it's not your fault. It's not your fault I spent the hundred fifty dollars on those shoes. It's mine. You didn't make me. I made you more important than God. So I want to end with this. It is sobering for me to think when God looks at me, what if he says to me, because you care more about what people think, you are willing to lie. You are willing to take money from your husband. You're willing to do things behind people's back. You are willing to disobey me. And I regret I regret that I made you a mentor, a counselor, a leader. Like that would just break my heart if I knew what God really thought of me because I care more about what other people think than what God thinks. Well, I care what God thinks about me. I hope you care what God thinks about you. Remember, it was God who said, Saul, you're nobody, but I see something. I'm going to raise you up to be a king. And that is enough. It should be enough for you. You don't need other people's praise and glory and honor. I have praised you and glorified you and honored you. I want to be content with that. But I'm, I'm just at the beginning of this journey. So stick around and see what God does in my life. But I hope that you're 
You're open to God saying to you, you do not need this idol of saving face. So God, help us to care deeply about pleasing you and only you. And pray with me. Lord, we often don't recognize idols in our lives. And we put so many things ahead of you. Things like our own comfort, glory, and our own need to be respected and honored. And Lord, we do things and try to save face. We manage our image. We hide our, our sins. We hide our weaknesses. And we try to do everything we can to please people. God, I confess that for myself. I pray, God, that you would, you would change my heart, Lord. That I would long to, I would long to know what you think about me instead of what other people think. So, Lord, we, we lift ourselves to you and we pray for the dethroning of this idol. Saving face. We pray for it to come smashing down, Lord. And we look to you, God. Thank you, Jesus.